0: your Bibles to Psalm 69, please. Alright, Psalm 69. um, Psalm 69 is a psalm that is attributed to David. It is written to the chief musicians entitled Upon the Lilies. This psalm is also considered to be a psalm of suffering. In reading this psalm, we are going to see David writing about himself, himself, his trials, and his condition. But also, we're going to see some similarities to that of what our Savior and Lord Jesus the Christ went through at the Mount of Calvary. Not all verses in the psalm pertain to Jesus. However, as we have the privilege to go through this psalm, it will be clear and evident of what the Holy Spirit revealed to David as he penned this song. The psalm is one of the most quoted psalms aside from Psalm 22 in the New Testament. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, It is remarkable that such a scene of woe should be presented to us immediately after the jubilant ascension hymn of the last psalm, which was Psalm 68. But this only shows how interwoven are the glories and the sorrows of our ever-blessed Redeemer. The head which is now crowned with glory is the same which wore the thorns. He to whom we pray, save us, O God, is the same self-person who cried, save me, O God. I pray tonight as we near Passover, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that we as Christians, we will never forget that. We will never forget what happened on the cross. The pain and the shame that he endured for us so we can be free. Uh, Romans 5, eight says, But God demonstrated his love. As we were sinners, he still died for us. You know, that's what he did. And, and as I read this psalm, that's what just kept coming to my mind. You know, I am a sinner, but, you know, Christ died. And, and there's no denying that. Not at all. This psalm is broken up into three parts. Verses 1 through 12, we see his condition. Verses 13 through 18, we hear his cry. And verses 19 through 36, we see his confidence. Now, let's start off by reading uh, verses 1 through 12. And it says right here, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mirror where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord, God of hosts, Be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you. Be confounded because of me. O God of Israel. Because for your sake. I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers. And an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house. Has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you. Have fallen on me. When I wept. And chastened my soul with fasting. That became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. And I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me. And I am the song of the drunkards. You know, I really struggled in reading this psalm. And how to go about teaching about it, you know, but I figured what perfect timing, you know, we have the Passover's coming, you know, the the death and resurrection of Jesus, you know, and I just thought like, man, Lord, you know, this is perfect timing for it. So um, today we're going to read the psalm and this is considered a messianic psalm and uh, we're going to see just how Jesus is all over this psalm right here. Verse 1 and 2, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mirror where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods oversee me. We see the affliction David is in, the burden he must be carrying, and the suffering that he is enduring for him to start this psalm with a plea to save me, O God. It must be something heavy he's going through. And my question here is, is anyone here suffering tonight? You know, are we? You know, and I, I can venture to say that if you're not suffering or you haven't suffered. It's going to happen. You know, I mean, that's what we are called to do as Christians. You know, Acts fourteen twenty two says we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. You know that's heavy, man, through many tribulations, you know. So not one person here is exempt from that. Now for David to start off this this psalm by saying, that's one of the first words that he writes is Save me, save me, O oh God. He says, The waters have come up to my soul. That's what it says in the New King James. He's drowning me, he's drowning in his troubles with no room to breathe. And every move he makes, he just keeps sinking deeper and deeper. Mire here is mud. It has no foundation, and the way, and the only way to go is down. You know, he he's has uh, this trial before him, and, and uh, just like us, you know, as we're in our trials, and every single move we make, every step that we take, it seems like we have no room to breathe. You know, and. And we just keep sinking and sinking and sinking. So he's crying to God. And, you know, he goes to say that I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I mean, he's already underneath, you know. He's already underneath. And um, has anyone here ever been in that position? You know, I know a few months ago, I just thought like, man... You know, what's happening here, Lord? Everything was so cool, you know. And then I just started getting hit and hit and hit, you know. I, I know that people have um, bigger tribulations. You know, they're suffering in different ways. And my, my sufferings may not even be compared to theirs. But for me, they're still blows. And everything that I do, it just seems like I'm just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. But that's okay, You know, God has given me a peace, and it doesn't even matter what happens because, you know, God is on the throne and and whatever he decides to happen in our lives, then you know what? I'm cool with that. You know, so. um, It says right here, have you ever been in this position where it seems that there is no light at the end of the tunnel where all your troubles and your trials have consumed you to the point that you're drowning? The water of affliction, those bitter waters have come unto your soul. They don't only threaten your life, but disquiet your mind. They fill your head with crazy thoughts and your heart with oppression and grief. So that you cannot enjoy God. Yourself or yourself as you used to do. I'm talking about the trials that we encounter in our daily lives. You know, our marriages, our children, our jobs. Our finances and our health. Don't let your situation, whatever it may be, separate you from God because a lot of the times that's what tends to happen. You know, we think of whatever it may be. If you want to talk about marriage, you know, we can talk about our marriages and we take our eyes and our focus off of the Lord and we start thinking about how I'm not being treated or how I'm not treating my wife or how. Our finances are consuming us or how we're gaining weight. You know, it's just whatever it may be, you know, we use those things, you know, to separate us from God. And those things are nothing, you know, we we, even let's just wait, you know, I mean, we become unhappy with ourselves because, you know, we come to the point where we're leaving our first love. You know we separate ourselves, and that shouldn't even matter if I'm fat, so what right? you know you don't like it, hey, so what but um it it doesn't even matter, and it shouldn't you know we shouldn't let those stuff just um grieve our spirit, you know because a lot of the times they do you know we have these trials and these troubles that we get into, and um you know, I'm telling you from experience because. When they come and they hit, you know, if you're not standing firm, you know, it's going to knock you over. You know, you're going to be what just hit me, you know. So we have to be ready for that. You know, we always have to be on guard, you know, always because we don't know when we're going to turn to the corner, what's going to be there. And we have to have, you know, we we are those children of God. And um, we have to be ready because we don't want to be in the situation where we're crying out, save me, oh, God. I mean, the very first words that David spoke right there. You know, a lot of us m- may be here saying, but you don't know my situation. You know, you don't know how my wife treats me. You don't know the finances that I'm in. You don't know how I like Twinkies, you know. There's, there's no room for but here, you know. But nothing, you know. You know, if our God is little in our life, our problems are going to be huge. But if God is huge in our life, our problems are going to be little. Amen. We shall bear up under our troubles if we can. You know, we should withstand them and keep them from entering our hearts. But when they put us out of the possession of our own souls where, man, we're not, we, we don't have nothing, nothing but ourselves. You know, where we've walked away from God, where Even if it's just for the day where you're just so consumed, our case is bad, you know, because we always have to remember that, that, that God, that Jesus, that they came, they're there for us, man. They're they're ready to hear us, you know, so we can never get to that point. Unfortunately, it happens, you know, but remember, I mean, the word is there for us, for our edification. You know, Jesus, uh, he, he don't sleep, you know, he, I mean, he, he always wants us to pray for, for, to him. So what, what do we need to do when our spirit is wounded? Well, it's obvious that we need to stay focused on Jesus, right? You know, Isaiah twenty-six thirty-three says that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And truly, we have to trust God. I mean, you may hear it over and over again. People send you texts, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord. You know, let's not take that lightly, you know. I mean, they're texting you for a reason, you know. Let's trust in the Lord. When I read verses 1 through 12, we see Jesus all over them. Yes, David wrote them, and we see him as a type of Christ in his conduct, but there is no denying these were accounts that were experienced by Christ. He himself spoke of his approaching passion as a baptism, and we can find that in Luke twelve fifty. It says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how dr- distressed I am till it is accomplished. And this right here refers to his baptism to the point of death on Calvary. He was under tremendous constraint to go to the cross to accomplish redemption for lost mankind. The shame, suffering, and death were the Father's will for him, and he was anxious to obey. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. There's no denying he was afraid in the situation that he was in. And that's okay. It's okay to be afraid. But we have to trust in God to deliver us. Psalm 69.3 I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. He was weary from crying. In the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right here in Luke chapter 22, and I wanted to read this because um, I I just feel it just emphasizes the whole point here. Verses 39 through uh, 44 says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them at about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's pretty heavy, huh? I mean, for him to to be sweating blood like that, you know, and... um. You know, you figure all this, you know, took place right about this time. Is that right, Manny? Right about the time that we're in right now? You know, so, I mean, how ironic, you know, that that we would be reading this psalm and, and just the distress that he was in. And, and uh, we see the agony, you know, that he's in. Because he knows he's going to go to the cross. You know, but like he says, nevertheless, Father, not my will be done, but yours. Mark 14.34 says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. He knew what was set before him, and going to the cross was his Father's will for him. God was not going to accept any other way for atonement. It had to be his blood. The death of Jesus was the only way that we could have fellowship with God. It had to be a sinless life, a spotless lamb, that would bear our punishment. That was the only way he would redeem us. There wasn't gonna be any other way. And Romans 323 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Excuse me. Now let me paint a picture for you guys. Let's read, can we all turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 53, verse 3? Verses 3 through 5. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. We see Jesus hanging on a cross. He's right there. Nails pierced through his hands, his wrist, one through his feet. He's thirsty. After just being beaten for something he didn't do, his throat is dry after bearing up his cross up to the hill on Mount Calvary, beaten beyond recognition, and his eyes fail him. They're so black that they fail to stay open. A crown of thorns is on his head, the crowd hating on him, shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Who were these people? They were the people who owed their very breath to him, yet they hated him without a cause. John fifteen twenty five says, "But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in the, their law: they hate me without a cause." Sorry, I'm losing my place here. says, Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Through man's sin, God was robbed of service, worship, obedience, and glory. And we were robbed of life, peace, and fellowship with God. In a real sense, Christ came to restore what He did not steal. And He came to pay a debt that we could not pay. And He came a debt To pay a debt that he didn't owe. Verse 5. Oh God you know how. You know my foolishness. And my sins are not hidden from you. You know when I read that verse. I'm like thinking like. You know Jesus didn't sin. You know. And. As I read it and read it and read it, I'm like, I mean, he he was a man without sin, you know, but he bore our sins, you know, and they were placed upon him, you know, and we must understand this verse as referring to our sins, which Jesus voluntarily took upon him. He had no wrongs, but he took our sins and our sorrow and made them his very own. It was that wonderful grace that he would identify himself so closely with us that he could speak of our of our sins as his hebrews 14 hebrews 4 verse 15 says for we do not re, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but in all points was tempted as we were yet without sin I mean, how amazing is that, that everything that I committed, everything that I still do that He took upon Himself, you know. And it's a shame that every time I sin, I continue to put Him on that cross. And it's nothing that we should take lightly. We should abhor sin. We should hate it. It shouldn't have any place in our lives. I mean, not not even, coarse course, joking, you know, the programs that we watch, you know. Either... You're for me or you're against me, you know? There's no gray areas there. And and we have to, to know that, that, you know what? He was crucified for us, for our sins. You know, and not one here is exempt, you know? He went to that cross because He loved us. So when I read that, you know, I just kept over and over just like, man, Lord, you know, am I taking my walk with You too lightly? You know, am I just being that average Christian that isn't impacting the world, not even the world, my family, you know, am I impacting? Do I have an impact in my family? You know, I mean, you died on the cross for me for what, for what? So I can just live my day and disregard you. That's not what it was about. You know, I mean, he died on that cross so we can have freedom, you know, but that freedom, doesn't allow me to do what goes against his word. You know, we have to disregard sin in our life. And if we've been taking it lightly, then you know what? We need to pray to God. We need to repent and ask him, Lord, let today be a day that is going to change my life where I'm going to stand up for you. You know, I'm going to put you first. I'm not going to put anyone else. I'm, I'm going to get rid of self and you're going to be on the throne because. how many of us have taken him off that throne and if we were to look at that throne in our mind and how we are as servants to him where does he take place is he on the throne or is he beside the throne or even pushed off to the side where we don't give him any time of day we have we have to be serious Verse 6, let not those who wait for you, O Lord, God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. He prays for this not to happen, that anyone that would hope in Jesus, that they wouldn't be ashamed of him. You know, after all, he is king, right? He is our savior. He came to the the Jews and, and... what did they do, man? You know, he came humbly, you know, poor. You know, he, he, he didn't have the worldly riches that they were looking for, you know. And he was obedient to his father's will to the point of death. You know, here their king, their savior, their Messiah was put on that cross. And he, he didn't do anything, you know, because that was the way God wanted it. He was there to to endure it, to take the shame, to be spit on, to be, have his beard pulled out, you know. And um, he's saying, you know what, don't let these people be ashamed because of me. You know, that was just the way it had to be. And we know that, you know what, God is all powerful, right? You know, God is all powerful and we have to remember that, you know, people think of Jesus as a a, a weak person, you know, a weak man. But he wasn't weak because for him to have to endure what he did to carry his cross, to be beaten down and still bear his cross, hang up there for us. Any ordinary man would have died, you know, but. Jesus wasn't man, he was God. And he was going to be the only one that can take that punishment. He displayed his love for us right there. Verses 7 and 8. Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. It was all for the will of God that Jesus bore reproach. Reproach is to find fault with, be criticized, or to be blamed. Jesus was always criticized. He was called a glutton, a wine-bibber. They told him that he hung out with sinners. They told him that he had a demon in, in him, you know. Shame had covered his face. He was spit upon, mocked, punched. He endured every bit of it. He never blew his witness. Not once. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. How many of us have been separated from our families and our friends because of our faith? I know I have. You know, it, it, it just so happens that people would rather accept you as a drunk as an alcoholic, a drug addict, an adulterer, you know, womanizer. That's the type of people that the world loves, you know. They love those people. And um, it's a shame that it would have to be that way. But you know what? Jesus... It says right here in Luke twelve fifty one through 53. It says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not all, not at all, but rather division, you know, so he, he, he didn't come to give that peace at first time, first time he, um, He came to proclaim His name, His message. And uh, it causes division, you know. It's a shame that it's that way, you know. It says that the father will be divided against the son, and the son against the father. Mother against a daughter, and daughter against the mother-in-law. That's a shame, but that's just the way it is, you know. For me, I I wish that I can go and hang out with everyone that I grew up with because I love them dearly, but it can't be that way, you know. As it is, they probably wouldn't want me there anyhow, you know, because I'm going to tell them why they're drinking so much or why they're doing this or why they're behaving or or even to go into why, 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 you know, because, you know, they're all trying to fill those voids, you know, that only God can feel, you know, and, and they don't see that, you know, they've been blinded, they've been veiled, and, and it's a shame because, you know, their decision is going to have a, it's going to have a price, you know, like the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and we can tell them, but they're not going to want it here, they, they, they can't even comprehend that if you tell that to them. You know, Psalm, I'm sorry, we are in Psalm 69, (laughs) verse 9. It says, because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Jesus was zealous for his father. We see that in the gospel of John. Chapter two, verse 13 Through 17 says now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business when he had made a whip of cords he drove them drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables and he said to those who sold doves take these things away do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered as it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Are we zealous for God? Do we have that that type of zeal for him? Where, you know, we see something wrong. You know, I would venture to say that most of us would just, you know, turn around and, you know, like, hey, you know what? That's none of my business, you know. I mean, is that you? Do you guys do that? I mean, do you think, like, in the service this morning that we should be These guys went out that we should be bold to tell them, you know what? If you think that your God is going to take you to heaven, you're wrong, you know? I mean, we should have that, that zeal, shouldn't we? I mean, all we have to do is ask for it, you know? You know, the Bible says that we should come boldly, you know? And let the Spirit do the rest, you know? I mean, you confront it. And the Spirit is going to show up. You know, it's always there. It's never late. It's awesome to see when somebody's on fire for the Lord. There's no denying that, you know. And I think just time after time, I would have to say right here, I mean, you know, most of you guys are seasoned Christians right here, you know. And I pray that that fire would continue to burn and burn and burn. Till your clothes is burned off. Whatever, man. I mean, that you're just on fire. You're hot, you know. I mean, you know, we're getting older. We're getting mature, you know. Stop drinking that milk. Start eating that meat. We should be more on fire now than we were when we first came to the Lord. Yeah, the Lord forgave me of all my sins. That burden is lifted. But now you're getting spoon-fed the Word every single week, week after week, Thursdays, Sundays, Sunday nights. All the time, Wednesday nights, I mean, there's always something going on. Um, K-Wave, the radio, all that stuff. I mean, we're getting fed the word. And we should be growing, you know. We should really, really just be like, Lord, man, you are coming. It, It should be ever so present that, you know what, my life, my thoughts, everything is focused on you, Lord. You know, let this world not have dominion over me. You know, because we have dominion over it. Because you know what? The Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, who do you have inside you? You know, are we just, are we being defeated is what I'm asking. You know, let's not be defeated. Let's continue to, to trust in God, to be zealous for him. There's no denying what he did. There's no denying his word. We have to just continue to come to him being zealous. I remember people used to tell me, You're zealous. You're zealous. And I ask myself now, Am I zealous, Lord? Is that going away? Am I too wrapped up in my job? Am I too wrapped up on my home? You know, did I lose that zeal? You know, I don't want to hear that word, Ichabod the lord has departed i want that pillar of fire to rest over my my home over my head you know i want the spirit of god to be with me always you know but how am i going to get that how do we get that by abiding in the vine right i mean we have to be at his feet it has to be him because you know what i don't have it i don't and as long as i'm abiding in the vine i'm going to bear fruit There's no denying that. And and that's what Jesus says, man. You abide in the vine, you're going to bear fruit. That fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know what? It's going to be there. Boom, right here. mangoes, peaches, oranges, all that stuff, you know. But you're going to have the love, the joy, the peace, all that gentleness. Everything It's going to be evident because you're sitting at the Lord's feet, you know. And and that's how we need to be, you know. And, And if we lost that zeal and we need to pray after, then we'll pray for that. Verses 10 through 12 says, When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. Jesus was ridic- uh, criticized and ridic- ridiculed for everything he did. And so goes for us, right? Everything that we do as Christians, man, you go to work, man, you're a Christian, dude. I mean, you're under the microscope, you know. And we have to just be careful. We really, really do because we don't want to blow our witnesses. I know when um, at work, you know, I talk to different departments and I meet different people. And one of the things that I want to tell them because, you know, they should see by my conduct that I that I'm a believer, right? But for my own accountability, I want to say, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian because I want them to know that I'm accountable to them, you know? Not only to them, but to God as my witness to them, you know? I mean, we had this this one kid come over our house, uh, one of our kids' friends and I'm not going to mention his name, but um he comes to our church and um they were going to the beach. And uh, my wife, you know, we've always had the privilege of having my son's friends over. And, uh, you know, she shares with them. You know, she stays home and and she always shares the gospel. She prays with them. And, you know, she pulls, puts it in, in layman's terms where they can understand it. And she even said, ha, to the person that comes here. And they turn around and they say, I didn't know you were a Christian. You know, could you imagine that? Just, man, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? I mean, if we're Christians, people should know. I thought that was kind of funny, but we need to pray for little brother there. John fifteen eighteen to 20 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world; therefore, the world hates you. And that just goes on to just emphasize uh, verses ten through through twelve. Or does it? Okay, verses thirteen through eighteen. It says right here. But as for me, my prayers to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in your truth. Of your salvation, deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink, let me not be delivered from those who hate me. let me be delivered from those who hate me, and out of the deep waters, let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not thaw, let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And do not hide your face from your servant. For I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to me. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. But as for me, my prayer is to you. He turned to God for prayer. And that's the most natural thing for the godly to do in a time of distress. We should pray. You know, I mean... He was in his trial and right here, he, you know, instead of complaining, he he starts to pray. As a child turns to his father, that's what Jesus did. You know, he looked on to God and. I asked, do we cultivate that type of relationship with our kids, you know, where they can come to us, you know, where you have that open door all the time? you know, where, where they're not annoying you, where they can confide in you, you know, where you're not going to, I mean, of course, you know, there, there's a, there's a point where, where we have to discipline, but do they know that you love them enough where they can come to you with whatever problem they, they may have? You know, I know in my home, uh, we have five kids right now. I'm said right now, you know, <laughs> if I go up, uh, who knows, you know, but, uh, We have five children and, um, our eldest is 20 and we've always tried to have a relationship with him where he has that open door and it doesn't matter what he's going through, you know, because I know what I went through and like I tell him, whatever he does, isn't going to shock me because I'm sure I did it already. And if not a lot worse, you know, we were grow, we grew up in the streets, and, um, you know, we kind of sheltered our kids. I mean, we, we let them do stuff, but, um, I mean, they weren't out for all hours of the night, you know, where no one would even check on them. You know, I could be gone for two, three days and wouldn't even call home. It didn't matter, you know. And um, I tell him that he can always come to us, you know. It's important for us to just have that relationship with our kids, you know, and always extend your hand to them. So right here we see Jesus, but as for me, my prayers to you, he's praying to God to help him. It says, oh Lord, in the acceptable time. At that time. It was a time of rejection for man. He was being rejected by everybody. But he was being accepted by God, you know, and all of us here can, you know, I mean, we cry out to the the Lord and and he accepts us. You know, sin was ruling on earth, but grace, it reigns in heaven. And God's time must be our time. He says, oh, God, in the multitude of your mercy, even Jesus makes his appeal to the rich mercy of God. He says, hear me in truth of your salvation. And this is what Spurgeon said. He said, his salvation is no fiction. No mockery. It's not a changeable thing. Therefore, he asked to manifest it and make all men see his fidelity or his loyalty to his promise. And that's one thing that there's no denying, you know, Uh, 1 Peter nine says that the end of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Verse 14, Deliver me out of the mire and let, not, let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me nor let the deep swallow me up and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. He turns and into prayer, the very words of his complaint. I challenge you, instead of complaining and bending your feelings, pray about it, and you'll see God's faithfulness. I mean, God is true to his word. You know, he may not change your situation, but he's going to give you peace through it. I mean, we all know that, right? I mean, the moment that we pray, boom, lifted like that, you know. Burdened. One minute sinking, falling, drowning. But the very next moment, you're lifted up. You know, you feel good. What just happened? You know, we called upon our Lord. And He's that quick. 16 through 18. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies and do not hide your face from your servant for I am in trouble hear me speedily draw near to my soul and redeem it deliver me because of my enemies hear me O Lord we continue to see the supplication for your loving kindness is good we see the adoration he's honoring God turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies And let's go back to Spurgeon writes this. He says, It is the gall of bitterness to be without the comfortable smile of God. In our Lord's case, His grief culminated in Lama Sabachthani. Translated, Why have you forsaken me? And His bitterest cry was that in which He mourned an absent God. You know, so... That's pretty heavy, you know, what what he writes there. It says, Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. If ever Jesus needed comforting, it is now. The sins of all mankind, past and present, were going to be put on him. He prays, Hear me speedily. Our Lord was a perfection of patience, yet he cried out urgently, speedily for mercy. And it's okay to pray like that. let's remember it's not my will Lord it's your will and whatever he would will for us draw near to my soul and redeem it deliver me because of my enemies so I, I see this right here and you know I go back to Jesus on that cross you know I mean just everything that he's going through hear me you know says, don't hide your face from me. Verses 19 19 through 20. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Throughout Jesus' life, he bore reproach. And dishonor. Could you imagine what would what would that have been like? To have people opposing you everywhere you went? Scrutinizing your every move? It must have been tough being rejected. At one point they were cheering for him saying, Hosanna to, da- to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It was his triumphal entry. And yet a week or so later, They're screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I believe that's one of the worst feelings you can experience. And I'm talking about rejection. You know, he came out to this world to show himself, God in the flesh. And he's bearing reproach. You know, they don't want nothing to do with them whatsoever. They're rejecting them. I mean, he faced rejection from from the time he was born. He borne that reproach, you know. I mean, since he was a baby, I mean, what's the first thing that King Herod said, you know? He told his his wise men, you know what, why don't you guys go out there and take him some gifts and give me word to where he's at, you know. He wanted him dead right from from his birth, you know. And, and this is what he went through all his life. Could you imagine Jesus? I mean, he's the perfect the perfect child you know everybody probably hated him you know he was the good son you know he, he did everything right it says reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness I believe Jesus was reflecting on his life and was vexed by it you know and let's not forget Jesus was 100% God, but also 100% man. And he experienced all the emotions that we experience. And the thought of him knowing that not all are going to make it to heaven broke his heart. It grieved him to the point of death. It has been said that Jesus didn't die because he took a beating. It has been said that he died of a ruptured heart, a broken heart. I don't know the medical term for it, but that's what people say is is that his heart had ruptured. Verse 21, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Here we see another prophecy fulfilled in Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 34 and also in 48. Gall was a bitter and perhaps poisonous substance. which which in small quantities might have acted as a sedative. Jesus would not take it because he must suffer as our substitute in full consciousness. The vinegar was sour wine. Has anybody drinking vinegar here? Anybody? I I had some the other day. little quick story. You have? Man, you're brave. Um, I had this apple cider at the house, right? And you you have to drink it with uh, orange juice and... uh, I didn't have any orange juice. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put in a little bit of water and take a swig of that. And uh, we had just got off the treadmill, me and my wife. And I thought, like, man, I'm going to I'm going to be healthy today, you know. So uh, I poured me some of that apple cider, that vinegar apple cider in my uh, water. And, and I took a little drink, and I gagged for five minutes, man. That stuff is horrible, horrible, man. I, and I'm real dramatic when I throw up, man. I mean, everyone's going to hear, you know. But man, that you know, you, could you imagine? He's up there, and you know, that's what they gave him. They gave him gall and vinegar and all that stuff. Okay, um, the tone of this psalm abruptly changes from this point, and we're almost done, people. Uh, David and our Lord for a while part company. The spirit of the law breathes out imprecations or cursings, while the tender heart of Jesus offers prayers for his murderers. These verses, however, may be viewed as predictions. Verse 22, let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened, so they do not see, and make, make their loins shake continually. These verses apply particularly to the nation of Israel. The Apostle Paul used verses 22 and 23 to Israel in Romans chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. And it says that very thing right there. And also, the mention of their tents, signifying encampment in verse 25. These verses predict the judgments which would come upon the race of the people who had rejected their Messiah and brought about His execution. Their table would become a snare. The table speaks of the privileges which were given to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. Instead of being a blessing, these privileges became a curse to them. Instead of them experiencing the well-being of peace, it would become a trap. Tribulation would spring forth for them. Verse 23, Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and make their loins shake continually. Their eyes would be darkened so that that they would not be able to see. This refers to their spiritual blindness. Which has come on Israel. 2nd Corinthians. Chapter 3 verse 14 and 15 says. But their minds were blinded. For until this day. The same veil remains unlifted. In the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Because they rejected the light. They had, they had been denied that light. You know, they were blind. And like we were talking earlier, you know, you tell your friends, you know, the scriptures and it doesn't penetrate. They they don't understand because they've been blinded. Verse 24, pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. We look back at history and how the Jewish people were tortured, tortured. We think about the concentration camps, the gas chambers millions and millions of people died. Yes, these were the actions brought on by wicked men. But you know what? God didn't stop them. You know Matthew 27:25 says, "His blood be on us and also on our children." You know, and that's what they said, you know, when when they were going to crucify him. Crucify him. You know, because Pontius Pilate said, you know what? I don't find any fault in him. None whatsoever. My hands are clean, you know. And these people said, you know what? We'll take that responsibility. Let his blood be on us and upon our children. Verse 25. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents. Here we are reminded of the Messiah's words in Matthew 23, verse 38. And he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. Verse 26, for they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. I'm like, man, I I really had a hard time with that one. So um, the New Living Translation says to the one you have punished that they add insult to injury. They add to the pain of those you have hurt. And I have no comment for that one. Verse 27 and 28. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Looking at these verses, we think that they, they were pretty harsh. He says, Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them be blotted out of the book of life. Or the living. But yet, we should not forget that even after the crucifixion of God, the Spirit of God was still pleading with the nation of Israel to repent. All through the epistles, you hear the heartbeat of God as He yearns for the nation He loves so much. Even today, the gospel goes out to the Jewish people as well as to the rest of the world. And the only ones who ever have to suffer the judgments described here in verses 22-28 to 28, are those people who reject God's Word. I mean, wrath is going to be poured on, on them for rejecting Him. And that should be our inspiration. I mean, if anything, today, I mean, that we should take this right here and know that, you know what? If we know somebody that's rejecting God, let's just picture... 10, 15, 20 years when we get raptured, whenever it's going to happen. And let's see their judgment because it says that the, the righteous are going to stand and see the wicked's end, you know. And I, and I take that literally, you know, when I see like, man, am I really going to be standing there and, and see the reward of the wicked and how to, how off it's, it's going to be? I mean, for my brother, for my friends, you know. If you tell somebody you love them, demonstrate it by bringing them to church by sharing the gospel with them you know let those not just be words you know take action because right here we see their end you know i mean it's it's all over you know you're good you're evil you get blessed or you're cursed you go to heaven or you go to hell you know and, and we should know that that wrath is coming not upon us because you know what we've been spared for that you know the bible says that we have We haven't been appointed to wrath. But we know that if someone hasn't accepted the Lord, then you know what? Our prayer should be for them. And our prayer box should be yay high, right? I mean, it should be stacked with prayers, you know? You know, I mean, the more the merrier. You know, we have a prayer team here. And, and, you know, they're giving prayers every week, you know? And shame on me for not putting my prayers in there. Because I have unsaved family i have unsaved friends you know the bible says if i regard iniquity in my heart that god is not going to hear me you know what happens when i'm struggling what's going to happen to those people you know i know god doesn't need me because you know what he's he's sovereign he's in control but still you know what he needs to hear my plea my petition you know and knowing that god is going to pour out his wrath on the unsaved I mean it should encourage us, you know. Let's not take that lightly. You know, this isn't just a fairy tale book. This is this is fact, you know. It's fact and, and we can't deny that. Five more minutes. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. We see our Lord's final words here as he's on the cross. Luke twenty-three, forty-six says, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. Or he breathed his last. He asked God for his salvation to set him on high. And that, that is exactly what happened. God raised him from the dead on the third day and set him as his own right hand, our prince and our saviors. His suffering was over. I mean, he's in heaven now. You know, No more here on this miserable earth, you know, and praise God for that. You know, that that's what awaits us, you know. I mean, that's our life, you know. We're going to be saved. And, and when we're in heaven, like they say, no more wars, no more tears, you know. Like Manny says, we're going to be a little bit taller, a little, little bit thinner. Whatever it may be, we're going to be happy. And those people that got left behind, you're not even going to think about them anymore. You know, you're not going to mourn for them. Because it's going to be too late then, you know. It's going to be too late because when we're in heaven, it's over, man. You know, we're going to be rejoicing. You know, the Bible says that there's no more tears there. You're not going to be crying for your lost ones. I mean, right now is the time to mourn for them while we're still with them, you know, and plead for them and cry and intercede for them. Verses 30 through 33. I will praise you. I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull, which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. How awesome is it going to be when our hope becomes a reality? The end of our faith becoming the salvation of our souls. We're going to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, giving him praise rather than sacrifice. This will please him. The humble shall be, shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your heart shall live. That's awesome right there. You know, you that seek God, your heart shall live. You know, first Peter five five says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You know, and if there's any pride, excuse me, pride in our life today, just give it to God, you know. Because it it doesn't matter who you are, what you do for, for work, how much money you may have. None of that matters, you know. It doesn't matter to God. He didn't need money anyways, you know. What matters is your service to Him, your dedication, your obedience, you know. Let this psalm today, even if you... Walked away with two things, you know. Man, you know. Let's put our pride down. And put on that clothes of humility, that grace clothes. Okay, what about the nation of Israel? These last three verses predict a bright tomorrow. Though set aside temporarily, Israel will be restored to its place. Verses 34-36 through says... Let heaven and earth praise him; the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Also, the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. And I'm not even going to pretend I know what they're talking about. But but this is this is in short, this looks forward to the millennium when the Lord will reign as Messiah, King, and Israel. The I'm sorry the Lord Jesus will reign as Messiah King and Israel will dwell securely in the land. Amen. So that concludes today's psalm. Um, I pray that you guys would heed heed these words today, even this message, you know. I I know God is sovereign. Um, I know he really spoke to my heart and and what a privilege it is to have studied this psalm tonight. And uh, I would only encourage you guys, man, march on, man, march on, you know it's it's like this man God's mercies are not only renewed.